I'm going to be reading Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 11. So hear now God's holy word. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you ha- and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have had to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So in the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Oh Lord, this is indeed your word, which is for our good. Would you discipline us this morning, even as you form in us, um, you lay the foundation of your truth in our hearts. Would you open my lips that I might declare your praise, and would you open up our hearts that we might receive your grace this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Shall we receive good from the Lord and not evil? The man Job was a righteous man, blameless and upright, and the Lord blessed him richly. He was very wealthy. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he had many servants. But one day, disaster struck. All of his possessions were stolen or destroyed. His servants were killed, as were all of his children. But in humility, Job responded, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But a few days later, disaster struck again. Job was afflicted with painful sores from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. This man who had been abundantly blessed was now abundantly cursed. And his wife took notice and she said, Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Be done with it. And Job said, no, you are speaking as one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good from the Lord and not evil? Friends, as we go through our life, we have unspoken questions that we ask in our hearts as we process uh, our life experiences. Recently, uh, our family was together, our two boys and their wives were over, and and we were all talking about uh, relationships, particularly dating or marriage relationships, and talking about conflict in particular, and how conflict is sadly 
something that we experience, but in the heart of our relational conflict, there is a question that we are asking in our hearts, and that question is, do they really love me? I, I, I know she says she loves me, but if she loves me, why would she say these things? Or I know he says he loves me, but if he loves me, why would he do these things? And beloved, God in his word says very clearly that he loves us abundantly and eternally. He sent his son to demonstrate that love. He says that he is powerful, infinitely powerful. And he's demonstrated his power by creating all things and even by raising Jesus from the dead. And he declares that he is good in everything that he does. And yet, isn't it true that when we face the trials of our lives, the the difficult moments that we are not expecting, that we ask, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? I I thought you were good. I thought that you were sovereign and powerful. Are you not? I thought you loved me. What is going on, Lord? And beloved, the book of Hebrews is acutely focused on teaching us and exhorting us to endure in our faith, endure unto the end. And suffering and trials uh, causes many people to stumble. It is it is a it, it makes it difficult to endure. And we ask the question: Where is God in the midst of that suffering? Well, what our passage tells us clearly is that it is because. God loves us, that he permits us to suffer. Because trials and suffering in the Christian life are an act of God's fatherly discipline. He is training his sons and daughters in holiness. And that's what we need to hear. This bitter pill that we are given this morning is that God disciplines us in his tender love so that we might share in his holiness. And we'll we'll see this in three kind of basic headings as we go through our passage. First, that that suffering or trials are an act of God's discipline. And secondly, this discipline is necessary. But third, this discipline is an act of God's love for us. So if you are here this morning and you are questioning the gospel of Jesus Christ, questioning the the claims of Scripture, you might wonder why would God treat his people the way that they do? I see them suffer. I see them oppressed. I see them go through trials. What I hope you'll hear is that it is how God treats us as his children. He is training us in holiness so that we might see his face. He's preparing us for glory. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're in the midst of significant struggles and trials, and you feel like life is maybe spinning out of control, what I hope you hear is that God is, your Father is perfectly in control, and he is caring for you in the midst of this trial. He's preparing you in holiness. So let's let's see if we can see this in our passage, and let's begin by seeing that 
um, these trials and suffer, sufferings are an act of God's discipline. It says in verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you have, that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. So biblically, discipline falls under two different categories. We would speak of the formative discipline and corrective discipline. So formative discipline means training. It's, it's, it's instructing, laying a foundation of what is true, Build, setting the context for how we ought to live. And God primarily gives us formative discipline through the proclamation, the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word. God trains us, teaches us, instructs us in how we ought to live. The second part, corrective discipline, is probably what we ordinarily think of when we speak of discipline. When a, when a child disobeys and a parent spanks them or uh, uses some other form of discipline, that is corrective discipline. It is a means of restoration and training, uh, trying to instruct the child in the way that they ought to live. And suffering and trials are God's means of doing both of these things. He both trains us in how we ought to live, but also corrects us when we go astray. So it is a means of his fatherly discipline. The second thing is this discipline is necessary. Necessary. He says um, it, is, it is a... First, it's necessary because it's something. It's the way that God treats every one of His children. It says, um, verse six: The Lord disciplines the one He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. If you are a child of the living God, God will discipline you. He will treat you as His child, and you need correction. You need instruction. And so he does that through discipline. It's also necessary because it is a mark of our childhood of the living God. He says it's for, um, verse 7, God is treating you as sons. What son is there if, uh, whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We... We've all seen children, either that we know or in public, who are not disciplined by their parents, or it certainly seems that way, and it's not a good thing. No discipline is pleasant, and yet it is good, because it is an act of love from the parent to the child. And God is saying, when you experience that discipline, it is a mark of the fact that God is treating you as his child. It is evidence that he is our father and that he loves us. But it's also necessary because of the intended result. It says, um, verse 10, for they, these uh, earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Now, I don't know what you think about holiness, if we look just beyond our text, just a few verses to verse 14 of chapter 12, we see the importance of holiness. Verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And Jesus Christ came to make us holy, but the Spirit is, even the Spirit of sonship is making us holy as God disciplines us, as he trains us, as we walk in life. This, this holiness is necessary. So it's an act of discipline which is necessary, but it's also an act of God's fatherly love. See what it says in verse 5? He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Do you hear the, the heart of our God? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? This, this quote uh, that is indented in our Bibles is from Proverbs chapter 3, where it talks about the discipline of the Lord and how we uh, ought to not regard it lightly or be weary. But he says, have you, have you forgotten that God addresses you as sons? Have you, have you forgotten that in Jesus Christ you've been adopted into his family? Have you forgotten that the Father loves his children? And have you forgotten what it means to be loved by your Father? That he will discipline you and train you and work to conform you to the family likeness? Have you, have you forgotten these things? And then look at the quote itself. My son. My son. Can you hear your father saying that to you? My son, my daughter. It's been said rightly that adoption is the highest and sweetest of the benefits of the gospel of grace. That God himself lavishes his love on you as his child. He regards you as his son and as his daughter he says, my, my son. And he says, don't regard it lightly. Don't be weary. The Lord disciplines who? The one he loves. The one he loves. That discipline that you feel, those trials, those sufferings, that is evidence of his tender love for you. He is preparing you so that you might see his face and dwell in his presence forever and ever. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly, it says, because the almighty God of the universe is taking notice of you and he is ordaining providence in order to train you, to train you in love so that you might see his face. Beloved, we have a father who has loved us perfectly and continues to love us perfectly. It, and we have to be really careful because we understand the fatherhood of God through the lens of our own earthly fathers. And there are certain, certainly similarities, but there are vast differences. Vast differences. Our earthly fathers discipline us and train us the best that they know how. The best that they know how but God actually and truly knows what we really need. Our, our earthly fathers have to deal with their own sinful anger as they see our sin and our weakness. And they have to wrestle with that while they exercise discipline. But our heavenly fathers 
anger towards sin is perfectly under control. He will not ever discipline us in his wrath. He does not treat us as we deserve. He is merciful and compassionate to us. His his discipline is never unchecked or cruel or harsh. He is kind to us and patient. Our earthly fathers are sometimes arbitrary or even derelict in our responsibility to discipline, but God will train us. He will conform us with perfect wisdom. And our earthly fathers, they try for their best to bring about the results that they think are right. But God is always effective in his purposes. He never misses the mark. It is perfect and total and in love. So beloved, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that God himself treats you as his beloved child? Have you forgotten? Well, know this, beloved. God has not forgotten you. This glorious passage from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 49, says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And the Lord says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved your you on the palms of my hands. Beloved, he loves you. He will not forget you. He is tenderly caring for you. He has greater purposes for you than fleeting comfort and happiness. He's preparing you for glory. Can you look at the trials and suffering of your life as a chastening gift of your heavenly father can you see the lord's kindness to you rather than his cruelty uh the the challenge for us is as uh late pastor andrew murray said he said uh, for us to get to the point where we can say now i know it perfectly every trial small or and great i will look upon at once as a messenger of god's love as a messenger of God's love. At the same time, we have to look to God's word to give us a proper perspective on how we evaluate the, the trials, the suffering that we experience. And there are three principles that I think we need to really keep in mind as we endure in our faith. The first is that evil is evil. And the fact that God uses wickedness and evil and sin for his glorious purposes does not make evil good. It remains evil. It only accentuates and highlights the glory and the majesty and the power of our God. God will bring about justice. He will bring about the end of all wickedness and suffering. But we must until that time, patiently endure it. 
And we see those things in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was, he endured unspeakable horrors. The most wickedness, the most uh, awful wickedness that could happen. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter said that, that Jesus was crucified by the hands of wicked men. And yet this was all part of God's foreordained plan. It was to bring about the most glorious of purposes, but that did not negate the wickedness of what happened. It was part of God's perfect plan to perfect his son and to grant us salvation in his name. But at the same time, we're told that Jesus will ultimately and perfectly triumph over his enemies. He will crush the head of the serpent. He will one day tread on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God as he meets out his perfect justice. He will destroy death itself. And so we know that God does not consider the suffering or even the circumstances of our suffering as good. But God uses it for our good. All of these things, these things will come to a glorious end, and we must endure until the end. The second thing that I think helps in our perspective is to remember that God is, in the midst of this wickedness, God is good and sovereign over these sufferings. The classic example is Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph told his brothers, he said, you... You intended it for evil. When you, when you sold me into slavery, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. You know, those wicked men who crucified Jesus intended to put him to death because of their raging and their wrath, and yet God meant it for the ultimate good. And when we endure the trials that we do, when we suffer at the hand of evil and wickedness, those who intend to harm us intend to harm us, and yet God intends it for good. And that, keeping in mind God's sovereign care over these things can help us to endure because it can remind us that God will never permit us to endure, to suffer anything that we cannot endure. Cain said to God in Genesis chapter 4, he said, my punishment is worse than I can bear. But a child of the living God can never say such a thing. Can never say such a thing. He, he does push us beyond our point of comfort. And we've all experienced that. But he sustains us. He is with us. He gives us the strength to endure. His intent is to train, not to destroy. And we can, we can look to the life of Job. Job experienced that suffering at the hand of Satan himself. But Satan submitted himself to the sovereign rule of our God. He said, let me afflict Job. And the Lord said, only so much. This is all you can do. And when Job withstood that, temp that, that he endured in that suffering, then Satan said, ah, it's only because of this. 
It's only because you haven't let me afflict his body. Okay, well, you can afflict his body, but don't take his life. Even the prince of darkness submits himself to the king of kings, and that is your father. That is the one who is controlling your training and your discipline. He will not let you endure more than you can bear. And we also see it in our passage where it says there at the beginning, um, verse 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We have not yet, praise God, had to endure that suffering. We may, someday. We may. But we do know one that did on our behalf. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. God let him, he put him through the most severe of discipline, even punished him, let his blood be shed so that we might have the right to become children of God. Uh, Someone asked Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon once, uh, do you think that you could endure uh, a suffering, a trial to death? And he said, well, today I say no. (laughs) I certainly could not. But if the Lord were to have me endure, then I know for a fact he would give me the strength to endure in that moment. And beloved, that is, that is the hope of the gospel, that God is training us in righteousness and will be with us unto the end. He is our strength to endure. The strength that was in Jesus, who was faithful to the end, who kept his faith and received his reward, that same spirit has been given to you and to me to be able to endure in the midst of our lives. Jesus did this, Peter said, by, he endured by entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Job said something similar. He said, though he slay me, though God slay me, yet will I hope in him. And that's the exhortation for you and me as we endure the trials and the sufferings that the Lord gives us. He gives us the strength to endure, but we trust in him. And finally, beloved, the third principle we need to remember is that our suffering is, it's not random. It is purposeful. It is God is perfecting us in holiness. It is intentional. It is for our good. I want to clear up a common misunderstanding. The suffering we endure is not cosmic karma, but chastening kindness. So karma is this false idea of cause and effect. If you do something good, something good will happen to you. If you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. That is not the way that the universe works, beloved. Job and his, Job's friends held to that mindset. If you read through the the, the bulk of the book of Job, they keep probing him saying, what have you done, Job? You've done something to deserve this. You must have offended the Almighty somehow. You oppressed the poor. But God said that Job was blameless and upright. There was no such thing. But beloved, we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, I know I do. We start to face 
trials and sufferings, and we begin to ask the question, why? What, what did I do to deserve this? What, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Which, behind it all, what we're trying to say is, what do I need to do to get this over with? What is the good thing that I need to do to get God off my back? But beloved, the universe is not an impersonal force of cause and effect. We serve a personal God who takes personal attention of us personally and cares for us individually, beloved. We scream, what do I need to do to get this over with? And the Lord says, return to me. Trust me. Depend on me. Cling to me. I love you. Beloved, isn't it true that it's through the, the trials that, like that, the holiness that God intends for us, that is where we, that is where we grow in our faith. It's as God permits us to suffer at the hands of evil and wickedness, that's where God teaches us to hate the effects of sin and the fall, like he hates the effects of sin. It's, it's in the midst of those trials that we realize we come to the end of ourselves and we are just not in control and we are ultimately powerless and we have no choice but to cling to the power and the goodness of our Heavenly Father and to trust Him. And it's through these painful trials that, and only through those painful trials, that God works in us that patience and that perseverance that He Himself has exhibited for us in his son, Jesus Christ. He is working these things in us. Beloved, every struggle, every trial is a fork in the road of our faith where we can either flee from him in hardness of heart or we can run to him and grow in holiness. So in the struggles that you have right now, are you, are you running from him? Are you running to him? Your father welcomes you. He begs you to come to him because he longs to care for you. Beloved, because it's not in his personal cause and effect, it's important that we do not test our, uh, our standing before the Lord on the basis of the number or the severity of our sufferings as though... Um, the more or the more severe sufferings that we face, either the better or the worse off that we are, God deals with us individually as his children. It's not a mechanical set of rules. Look at Job. He was blameless and upright. He endured significant struggles. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He was perfect. And yet God had him go through the most horrific of suffering. And for that same point, don't compare yourself with others and say, well, I'm better off or worse off for them than them based upon what they've had to suffer or what I've had to suffer. Beloved, the, the child of the living God who suffers greatly is loved neither more nor less by our Heavenly Father than the child that he 
gently carries in his arms. Beloved, your father loves you. It is not an impersonal thing. God is tenderly and carefully caring for you. He knows you and what you need. Your sufferings just as much as your gifts and your story and even the fingerprints on your hands are yours and yours alone. Your God loves you. F.F. Bruce said that the man who accepts discipline at the hand of God as something designed by his heavenly father for his good will cease to feel resentful and rebellious. He has stilled and quieted his soul, which thus provides fertile soil for the cultivation of a righteous life. Beloved, that's, that is our, our challenge from the Lord is to accept this discipline as a, a gift of his loving hand. But beloved, this, is, this, this discipline is a, a privilege that is those, for those who are children of the living God. And not all people benefit from that gift because not all are children of the living God. Jesus himself said, he said this to the Pharisees and the scribes, he said, if God were your father, you would love me. You would love me. And that's the test. Uh, adoption into God's family. We, we are born as children under wrath. We are born as children of the devil. And yet God in his grace adopts us into his family as a gift of his grace. That is a gift for those who have put their faith in Christ, who love Jesus. Does that describe you? Do you, do you love Jesus because you recognize that he shed his blood to give you the right to become a child of God, that he gave himself for you to reconcile you to your heavenly father. Is your only hope for salvation in his finished work? Does your heart cry out, Abba, Father, I love you? Is that your heart? If it is, beloved, then praise God. Then this discipline is for you. But beloved, if that doesn't describe you, then I have good news and I've got bad news. And they're the same thing. The good news is that you will not be subject to the Lord's discipline. Because the Lord does not discipline someone else's kids. He disciplines his kids. In fact, Psalm 73 says that those who are not of the Lord may experience a good life. He says they, they, they have no trouble as others. You may perfectly you may experience blessedness and happiness in the midst of this life. But the bad news is that you will not be disciplined by the Lord. And because this life is fleeting. That same Psalm 73 says this. He says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they're destroyed in a moment. God disciplines his children so that they may be in his presence forever and receive the blessedness of the reward purchased for us by Jesus Christ. But that is only for his children who put their faith in Christ. But beloved, the great news is that God is merciful. 
And he sent his son to shed his blood to give us the right to become children of God. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you do not know God as your Father, God offers you salvation in his Son, Jesus Christ, today. Receive the gift of God in Christ Jesus. Receive the gift of adoption. Receive the privilege of being disciplined by our Heavenly Father so that we can share in his holiness and experience his blessedness forever and ever. Beloved Job and his friends, they spent the entire book trying to figure out why. Why, Lord? What, what, what was the cause of Job's suffering? And they never got the answer. They never were told the specifics of why God permitted that to happen. God essentially said this. He said, I am God, I am sovereign, and I am good. But beloved, to you and to me, our Father says, I am your Father, you are my child, I am caring for you, and I love you. I love you. Beloved, let us praise and adore our Heavenly Father for His bountiful grace and His love for us. And let us never forget the high and holy privilege that we have as children of the living God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that you have seen fit to welcome us into your family and to lavish upon us every spiritual blessing. Oh Lord, help us to be trained and to adore you for it. We want to see your face. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.